Welcome again, everyone. Um, if we've not met before, my name's Ed, and um, I'm married to Jess, our kids' pastor. And um, if this is your first time in church today, I just want to particularly welcome you. It's so great that you're here. Um, we really hope that you kind of feel at home. That's our big vision, really, that this place would feel like home for you. And if there's anything we can do to help with that process um, or uh, help you kind of find out more about the church, let us know. Speak to me. Speak to any member of the team who are helping uh, host or in the cafe today. They would love to plug you in with that kind of stuff. Um, you've arrived on a good Sunday, actually, if this is your first time, because um, we're in the middle of a talk series called That's What I Go to Church For. Um, and we've been looking at what it means to be the church uh, beyond just attending these Sunday gatherings, beyond being a, a nice club of people who enjoy um, decent coffee, uh, beyond being an institution that's kind of woven into the fabric of society, as we saw yesterday at the coronation. What does it mean to be a community of people who are trying to and working out how to follow Jesus in Exeter in 2023? That's the question that we're trying to unpack. And last week I spoke about what it means to be um, a group of people doing that in the world, in a world that's so often quite messy and quite broken and quite painful, um, but that there is power in submitting ourselves to the structures, to the systems around us so that we could be a living example of Jesus in that world. That's our goal and our hope. Because um, it's not just uh, the way that we live outwardly, it's also the way that we live inwardly. And today I want to speak for just a few minutes about um, the way that our thinking affects our behaviour. The way that we see ourselves and the way that we see other people and, and what it means to be the church. Because to be the church is fundamentally impacted by how we see ourselves and how we see the people around us. And so we're going to read together uh, from 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 8. I'll give you a moment if you've got a Bible to find that, but if not, it's going to appear on the screens. And this is a letter that we've heard has been written to um, a group of churches scattered across modern day Greece and Turkey. Uh, it's written by a guy called Peter, helpfully. Um, and it's written to a church that are experiencing persecution and hardship and struggle. And it's got some encouragement for us. It's got some challenge for us. And it is, it's relevant for us today, right now. I'm totally convinced of that. And so if you've got a Bible, uh, turn with me. 1 Peter 3, starting at verse 8. Or sit back and um, read it on the, uh, on the Sky Bible, as I'm now going to start calling this. It says this. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and seek good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. It's a good passage. There's some meaty stuff for us to think about there. I wonder what does attitude 
mean to you? What is attitude to you? If you're a parent, you might now be thinking of the attitude of your children when they stamp their foot, fold their arms and storm off into the other room, refusing to do what you asked them to do. If you're a student, you might be thinking of the essay that you are trying to write or the dissertation that you're trying to finish right now and needing to find the motivation, the attitude to be able to continue doing that. If you're a pro athlete, you know that attitude matters. You might be thinking of the importance of having the right attitude in training or or the right attitude uh, before a crucial game or a match that you're coming up to. Positive or negative, we all have attitude. We all have attitude. And I love this this definition of attitude. Uh, It's this, a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. The way that you've come to see the world that you're living in, it begins to shape the way that you see the world around you. It it begins to shape uh, you positively or negatively. Your attitude begins to change your experience of the world. A few years ago now, before the pandemic, Jess and I went to Focus, which is like HTB's um, holiday away with a, a network of churches from right across the country linked to HTB in London. And it is always amazing. It's always encouraging. It's always really powerful with like no exception. And this year was amazing as well. Like amazing times of worship, amazing talks that encourage you and that challenge you. Um, evenings spent sitting around under the stars, chatting with your mates uh, and, and talking about life. Like it was just incredible. The end of the week came and we had to pack down our tent and pack down everything that we had with us and put it into the car and go home. It was time to drive back to London where we lived at the time. And just as we were setting off, we thought we'd pop in at our in-laws who lived nearby to go. And as we left their house, ping on the dashboard comes this light, low pressure, tyre warning, monitoring system. And um, got out of the car, went and had a look and I looked more closely at the wheel and I found this. So annoying. You might not be able to quite see it. There is a giant bolt sticking out of the wheel of our car. And, and to be honest, I was, I'd had an amazing week. I'd had a great time, but that was the last thing I needed. Um, had to, um, you know, we, we, we were tired. We'd been sleeping in a tent. We'd been doing all this stuff. Our kids were tired. It was their bedtime. They just wanted to go home. And, and worst of all, to, to access the spare tyre in our car meant unpacking the car. And anyone here been on a camping holiday, you know that packing the car is like the biggest challenge of the whole thing, right? Like you can live through anything if you can get all of your camping gear into your car. And we were struggling with that and we just managed to squeeze it all in. You know that thing you do where you like put your hand there to hold something and then slam the boot to try and get it all to shut? I'd done that about five minutes before and then I knew I was going to have to unpack every single thing to get the spare tyre out. And when I got down to the bottom of the boot, I also just for joy had found that um, something had leaked in the car and the, the, around the wheel and the kind of well where it lives was full of water. And like the tyre repair kit was like bobbing around in the water. And I was like pulling my hair out, so frustrated and annoyed about it. And I started, um, you know, taking everything out, getting the wheel out, jacking up the car, lifting off the ground. And then I realised that um, Jess's family, whose house we were at, with, the, with just the best intentions of the world, had formed a kind of audience around me, uh, looking at what I was doing and offering me helpful advice and tips about how I could do it differently. And you know, in that moment, by that, by that time, I was in such a bad mood. I was so tired. I'd unpacked the car. I'd jacked up the wheel. I'd changed it over. I'd found this puncture. I was so annoyed. And, and all the positive enthusiasm, all the, all the hope, all the joy that I'd had from being at Focus, it was kind of fading away. All the times that I'd spent in the presence of God was slipping away. And, and I just wanted to go home. 
you know, we got back in the car and I was in a properly bad mood. And some of the staff team who are here will know what I'm like when I'm in a properly bad mood. You know, I just get really grumpy and pedantic about things. And I was doing that, you know, I was criticising other drivers on the road and, and complaining about things that didn't need to be complained about. I was in such a bad mood. And then I realised that the spare wheel had this maximum speed of 50 miles an hour. So we couldn't even drive home at the proper speed to get back. It took us hours and hours and hours to get to London. And, and the next day I woke up and, and I was feeling slightly better, but I was still kind of miffed, you know, like all my joy, all my enthusiasm, all of my positive attitude had faded away. And I opened the Bible in one year, uh, the app that kind of helps you to read the Bible every day. And there was a quote in it that said this, a bad attitude is like a flat tire. You can't go anywhere until you change it. <laughs> It was like, God, are you speaking to me this morning? You might be. Yeah, okay, I get that. You know, I, I realised that a small thing, literally a small thing, a, a tiny bolt, and I'd let it ruin the joy that I had been experiencing at Focus. I was forgetting all the good stuff that had happened and focusing on a problem that was in front of me. And I think that that's kind of what Peter is speaking to his audience about here. He knows that they're under pressure. He knows that life is not easy for them. He knows that they're facing persecution and hardship, but he encourages them not to give in to the negative patterns of behaviour and thinking around them that they're seeing all around them. He encourages them to change their attitude. In verses eight and nine, the first verse that I read before, he said this, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, do not repay evil with insult, evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. You know, I want to say today that that is what we're called to go to church for, to be a blessing to each other, a blessing to the places we go and the people that we see. But to do that requires us to be like-minded in vision and in purpose, to be sympathetic to each other, to be compassionate, to, to genuinely love each other and be humble. These are the attitudes that Peter encourages them to pursue. But let's face it, we know the problem with that is that it's really easy to have that attitude to the people that you like. You know, your friends and the people that agree with you and always think the same way as you, that's, that's easy but to be the church means to extend those attitudes to the people that we don't really like. And if you're sitting next to someone you don't really like, don't look at them in this moment. You know, the awkward people, the, the ones that you don't have much in common with, the intense person who just doesn't really get you, the outsider with the perspective that's different to your own. P Peter goes as far as to say, we should repay evil with blessings, even your enemies, even the people that hate you and make your life harder even to them to bring these attitudes of compassion and love and sympathy. You know, it's no good if we only love people who love us. Jesus hasn't created his church in Exeter to be a group of clones who all look the same and, and, and sound the same and do the same. He's stitched us together. He's, he's woven us together like a tapestry to show off his greatness and his grace. Every age and stage in this room, Every uh, background and um, perspective, every race and ethnicity, uh, rich and poor, ex-prisoners and ex-coppers, all in one room, gathered together to love one another, to be compassionate to one another, to be humble and to be sympathetic to each other. The truth is that we need each other. 
We need people who are different to us. We need this body where we come together and we don't have much in common to make us the church because otherwise we wouldn't really be that. And I don't know about you, but, but I'm not always very level. My attitudes change. My perspective changes easily. Small things, as you can see from my flat tire, can throw me off course. Those things can distract me from being that person and having that attitude that Peter talks about. And no matter how hard I seem to try to, to be more compassionate, and to be more loving and to be more sympathetic, I so often miss the mark. So often screw up and get distracted by the small things. And I love what this passage says. Uh, Just at the end of it, let me read that again. From uh, verse 15, it says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander, for it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than doing evil. And here's the clincher. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteousness, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. See, Jesus shows what it looks like to have that attitude. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be that person. He suffered. He was insulted. He was hated. He could have taken offence at those who criticised him. He could have become apathetic to the needs of the world. He could have closed his eyes to the suffering of the people that he healed, but he didn't. He went as far as to suffer on the cross and die, literally to bring us to God so that nothing would stand between us and him. And that's the kind of person that I want to follow. That's the kind of king that I want to serve. Who here watched the coronation yesterday? Yeah, the majority of people. Uh, we watched the coronation. Our kids were so excited about it. They thought they were going to watch the whole thing. They realised that it was four hours and the attention span of a four-year-old and a six-year-old are not long enough to do that. But um, we were watching it with the Chesworths and we had a great time. It was really nice. But I don't know about you, but I was watching the, the ceremony and the procession and the gold and the, and the polished metal and the horses and the, and the crowds gathered around. And surrounded by all that pomp and ceremony, the thing in the service that really spoke out to me was the sermon, the the message preached by the Archbishop of Canterbury, because he drew this comparison between the king we crowned yesterday and the king we follow and we serve. He said this about Jesus. His throne was a cross. His crown was made of thorns. His regalia were the wounds that pierced his body. And then he went on to say this about the new king, about how Charles could follow in that pattern. With the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he said, the king, Charles III, is given freely what no ruler can attain through will or politics or war or tyranny. The Holy Spirit who draws us to love in action. See, the truth is that although Peter encourages us to have this attitude, to be all of these things, we can't do it on our own. We can't be those things. We can't do those things on our own because we so often fall down. We're tempted by the other methods of getting what we want. But what it means to be the church is to have the attitude of Jesus. To allow Jesus' love and his compassion to flow out of us into the world around us. You know, the most effective form of evangelism that you can do is to love Jesus with all your heart and when, see, when people see that hope in you and that kindness in you, be ready with an answer of where the hope came from. 
That's the best kind of evangelism that you can do. I wanna just close today before we pray for each other with a verse that I think God wants to speak to us today. And it speaks to our attitudes, not the attitudes that we drum up and we force ourselves to do, but the attitude that God can put in us by his Holy Spirit. And it comes from Ezekiel 36. It says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This Spirit of God is the one who enables us to live like Peter described, to have the attitude of Jesus, both here in the church as we interact with each other, but also outside, wherever we find ourselves tomorrow morning. And so I would love to pray the simplest and oldest prayer in the church for a a couple of moments and invite God to fill us. Would you stand with me while we pray that?